2: Heads down, we'll here on to sing
3: this way. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth.
4: Hello, everybody! Happy summer.
3: Okay, so as those of you know about the show, the show is in two parts. The first part we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court. That's avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned. Trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk either n- nostalgia, politics, religion, uh, sometimes old movies. I guess that's nostalgia. But tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about politics and a little bit about religion and politics. So, you know, but if you have any questions, first part of the show, give us a call at one Now, we got some phone calls lining up up here, so I guess we'll start with Tracy in uh, Queens. Yes, Tracy, what's your question?
5: Hi there. I was just calling because my mom has bank accounts with named beneficiaries, but I wasn't too sure
4: if she still needed a will.
3: Yeah, it's always a good idea to have a will because, you know, you could have all your bank accounts joint and trust for, and that's fine, and, and those assets won't go through probate. But at the same time, there might be something that's left over. And, I, and it always seems like there's something left over. Let's say you have a car. You know, you're not going to put a car with a beneficiary. Uh, let's say for the sake of argument, you have a checking account and nobody's name is on it. you got furniture in your apartment, let alone if you have a house, then you should do a trust. But there's always something that can pop up. And, you know, you can go from, like, the absurd, which occasionally happens, like winning a lottery, but somebody dies in a car accident who gets the money from... The lawsuit from the car accident and that happens more than you might think because people as they get older are more likely to get in accidents than when they're younger so you always should have a will it's a backup plan you should always have your accounts with the beneficiaries you want or if you own real estate to do a trust but everybody should have a will as a backup and we'll talk more about that you know another part of the show uh carmella in brooklyn yes carmella
5: yes i have a um a will um, and, I, and it is it is a trust clause for for um my sister when i die and the and the uh, the property is sold and she gets a portion of it and uh, her her um, Excuse me. Uh, two of our children are the trustees. Now, how does that work? Uh, uh, how does that work? Uh, I, I mean, is it a simple thing? I mean, are the monies just given to the uh, to the uh, trustees to put in trust for um, for their mother? I mean, how do, I'm, that, that's what I don't understand well, how that works.
3: A lot depends on how your assets are titled. Do you own a house? Do you own a house?
5: Uh, yes. Yes.
3: Okay, is the deed to your house in the trust? No. Okay. No, it's
5: in only it's in my only in my name.
3: Okay, so that if something happened to you when you passed away, whoever is the executor of your will would have to probate the will and go to court and then after the court approves the will, then the people who are named as trustees would also get appointed as trustees, you know, for the trust. So it wouldn't be automatic, would have to go through court. Um but Assuming nobody contests the will, your sister will eventually get the money and trust handled by your children, and I assume you have what-ifs in there.
5: All right, so it's not a complicated thing. Do you know what I mean? They don't it, need...
3: Yeah, it very well could be. If you have medical bills, you have nursing home bills, your estate could be lost in the court proceeding. Um, if somebody contests your will, if there's something wrong with the execution of your will, um, you know, it's not properly witnessed or the staples are taken out or things like that, it could take years to go through probate.
5: Oh. You,
3: know, you, may want to I, I you may want to avoid this, to avoid probate, you may want to do a trust. Now, I know a lot of times I assume you don't have children since you're ta- talking about your sister and nephews and nieces. Yeah,
5: no, that, that's right. Okay, that's so, right.
3: And I know a lot of people don't want to go through the expense of a trust. Exactly. You know, without children, so that's up to you. But it will go through probate it could be costly and time-consuming, depending on the circumstances. So, you know, how old is your sister relative to your age?
5: Um, She's uh, she's a little younger than I am.
3: Okay. So she may have to wait a year or two before the money's available for her.
5: I see. Well, the, the, well it was put in trust because... She collects certain, um, no, you the, know, government benefits. I understand benefits. why people
3: would put it in the will and trust to protect it against government benefits. God right. forbid your sister goes to a nursing home. We don't want your money to go to your sister's nursing home bill.
5: No, you know, and no. also
3: if she passes away, you choose the beneficiaries, not her. Yes,
5: it's in it's in the it's in the, um, it's in the uh, you know in, in part in the will.
3: All right, so you may want the will's going to go through probate if, let's say, the house is in your name alone. And when you pass away, the house is in your name alone. It will go through probate. It will go through court. Hopefully you don't have any medical bills, but if you do, it's going to be No, a so far, no. But it's when you die, not now.
5: Yes, yes.
3: You know, some, the cost of a nursing home right now in New York is about $15,000 a month.
5: I, I know. It's it's outrageous. Yep. But there's no problem for the trustees. I mean, when I die in the money, it's not a, It's just a matter of going to the, through pr- probate, et cetera
3: probate could be a problem and could take years.
5: Mm. Uh, all right. Thank you very much. All right,
3: much. good luck. Okay, take care. All right, so George Rego Park. Yes, George.
2: Hey, hey, uh how you doing, attorney Connors? How you doing? Okay. Uh yeah, quick question. So uh so th- here's the thing. So uh my grandma, she wants to give the house to my mom. You
6: know, yeah.
2: she doesn't want to deal with uh my aunts. And like I hear you talking like the last call about the about the trust and stuff. Right. But why can't you just do it to my mom? Like you know, the deed. Why can't she just put it in my mom's name? What's this what's the need for the trust? I I, okay. I just don't think it's needed.
3: All right. Do you know how much your grandmother paid for the house? And how much it's worth? No, no.
2: Like probably like thirty thousand dollars. I mean it was back in like the sixties.
3: Okay. Does your mother live in the house?
2: Uh my mom, yeah, she's living there. with it's the a two family. Okay.
3: All right, but in any event, let's just say for the sake of argument your grandmother paid thirty thousand for the house and it's worth if it's in Rego Park, it's probably worth a million in a minimum. So if mom inherits or is given the house, she has to pay a capital gains tax when she sells it on the difference between thirty thousand and a million, which is nine hundred and seventy thousand dollars. Now if she lives in the house oh, for wow. two years, she gets two fifty off that, but that's still between three hundred two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars in taxes. So that's why you do the trust. Plus, not only that, something wow. happens to your mom. Maybe you're going to inherit the house and throw your grandma out on the street, which occasionally happens, not very often. And I'm sure, oh
2: man, I'm yeah. sure you're not
3: that type yeah, be, of person.
2: Pretty... No, 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 I'm a good guy. I'm but good maybe guy, your
3: brother man. would. Oh, that's true. You don't even want me to get started on that guy. Yeah, I know. So that's why we we don't want to do. We want to do a trust so we can take care of the what ifs, and then your mother gets the house tax free. And if she leaves in the house, it's going to be protected from medical bills, nursing home bills immediately. Oh,
2: uh, that's that's, that's cool. That's cool stuff right there. It is. Any other questions, George? Right. No, no. Thank you as always, Attorney Connors.
3: All right. Thank you for your calls. Okay, so, Beth, we have some emails, right?
4: Yes, we do. All right, the first one is, Hi, I'm trustee for my mom. I know that this means I have access to the funds in the trust bank account. My mom always said she wanted to help me buy a house, so I used $75,000 from the trust as a down payment towards my new house. My brother, who is not a trustee, is very upset that I used the trust money. But I've told him mom wanted me to do this. He's worried that if mom has to go into a nursing home, they will question how I've been using the funds in the trust. Is this true? Thank you, Lacey.
3: Well, it might be part true. and uh, you, know, you may say your mother wanted you to, to have the house. It should have been put in writing. You know, because people can say anything, no offense, but people can say anything, and if your mother wanted you to have the $75,000, it should have been in writing. Uh, The problem with the nursing home, if the trust is more than five years old, in other words, and the assets were put in the trust more than five years ago, then really the nursing home doesn't get involved. The nursing home gets involved on transfers that happen within five years of the application for benefits for nursing home. But if you put your assets in a trust for five years, the five-year clock started back then. Now, if you put your house in the trust or you put your assets in a trust two, three years ago and mom goes into a nursing home before the five years is up, that might possibly be questioned. And at that case, you may have to give the $75,000 back or face a lawsuit or whatever. It, if you make gifts, we got to be careful about it. and should be in writing. You should get the right advice before you make the gift, not after. Now, in theory... If you gave a $75,000 gift, we should file a gift tax return with the IRS just to keep things straight. Now, I know gift taxes are not a problem. Usually, you know, nobody gets audited on a gift tax return. Except right now in today's world with money laundering and things like that, people are getting audited occasionally, where years ago I never saw anybody get audited on a gift tax or you know, not not filing a gift tax return. I think it's coming and to play a little bit because the IRS and the federal government is worried about money laundering, where's the money going. So I would play it straight there and, and file a gift tax return. Now, if mom goes to a nursing home and the $75,000 was used to put a down payment on the house, you can go to Medicaid, even if it's subject to the five-year look-back period, and say this money was not given away to qualify for Medicaid. This money was given away to qualify to buy a house. Well, it would be up to a hearing officer, but they could rule and very likely could rule because there won't be witnesses saying something else, except maybe your brother, uh, saying that, you know, it was to buy the house, and so that that could get you off the hook. The point I guess we have to make in, in, talking about the whole thing is it's not always as easy as some people think, you know, like w- with Carmela about, you know, probate is easy. It may not be easy, and we didn't get into the whole family tree, but if there's a brother or sister or a nephew or niece that's going to contest her will. That will could be caught up in probate for five years. You know, the court system works very slowly. And, you know, and if they're medical bills and they put a claim in against the estate, you know, and by medical bills, our biggest problem usually are nursing home bills because the average cost of a nursing home is usually about $500 a day, $15,000 a month in New York. So if you own a house and you don't plan, you die, and you have an unpaid nursing home bill when you pass away, and there are not a lot of people who can afford to pay $15,000 a month, That unpaid bill could be a lien against your house, and that's why you need to do estate planning. Now, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to, you know, brings up, we're going to talk a little bit about nursing home Medicaid for a few minutes in our next segment.
2: I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a a burden to me.
4: I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time. gradually quit going.
6: No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with.
2: You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there.
1: We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank
4: God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's
7: peace in our home that we didn't have before.
4: You're
2: coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic
3: Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org
0: today. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more.
4: Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars.
0: On Tuesday, August 21st at Vesuvio Restaurant, 7305 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m., then in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn on Wednesday, August 22nd at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S. at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. And finally, at the Grand Prospect Hall, 263 Prospect Avenue, Park Slope, Brooklyn, on Thursday, August 23rd at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m.
4: Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment.
0: Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 238 That's Connors & Sullivan. 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com.
4: Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors & Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com.
0: Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got a question for Mike? Call him at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Okay. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me,
3: Mike Connors. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get back to Carmela for a minute because Beth is telling me I wasn't clear enough as usual.
4: Oh, hush.
3: Um, here's, this is what sends you through probate. If when you pass away, there are assets in your name alone, in Carmela's case, her house, if the deed to the house is in her name alone, then in order to transfer the house to her beneficiaries, including the trust for her sister, you have to go to court. And part of the court proceeding in New York, everybody who's your next of kin by law is determined by the state, not by you. Everybody who's your next of kin by law gets, re- receives a copy of your will and is entitled to file objections to contest the will. That's the law in New York State. If they're missing relatives, sometimes that's even worse because then the court appoints attorneys to protect the interest of the missing lawyers, and that can take a very long time in some cases. So, if somebody passes away, you get the deed to their houses in their name alone. It goes through court. Every single relative who's a next of kin by law, not how you feel who your next of kin is, what the state feels your next of kin is, which in, in Carmela's case would be our brothers and sisters, nephews and nieces, even if it's a nephew or niece she hasn't seen and. In years, um, they have to be notified if they don't consent to the will. It could be a problem, and you know, on top of that, if their medical bills, you know, nursing home bills, which is the biggest problem, you usually come up with. Um, the average cost of a nursing home right now in New York is fifteen thousand dollars a month. If you go to a nursing home, you can't afford to pay that fifteen thousand dollar a month bill. You run out of money. Medicaid in New York will pay that bill for you, but when you pass away, if that house, let's say, is in your name alone, Medicaid puts a lien on your house. And at fifteen thousand dollars a month you could lose an awful lot of equity into the house.
4: I know part of the confusion is um if you have a trust that's in your will, that's a testamentary trust, right?
3: Right, that does not avoid probate.
4: Right. I think that's because sometimes when you think you've got well, I have a trust. Well, it doesn't do that if it's a trust outside of your will, it does something completely different from a trust within your will.
3: Yeah, and, you know, I was going to talk a little bit more, but I will still talk about it briefly. I was going to talk about what happens if you go to a nursing home. Now, there's there's two types of Medicaid in New York. There's community home care Medicaid, one, and there's nursing home Medicaid. Community home care Medicaid, there's no look-back period. So literally, if you're over 65 or disabled, you can put all your assets in a trust today or give it away, and apply for home care community Medicaid the next month. Nursing home Medicaid, we have a five-year look-back period. So if somebody has a stroke, they're going to a nursing home, well, are we dead? You know, is there anything we can do? And there's always something we can do. Number one, we look to see if there are exempt transfers. Transfers to a spouse are exempt in New York under the five-year look-back period for Medicaid. So if husband has a stroke, husband transfers all his assets to his wife's name. Wife, signs spouse, refusal, husband will get Medicaid. Now at the same time in this question, the wife better act pretty quickly to protect her assets because the state may bring a lawsuit against her for support. Number two, if you have a disabled child, and what's a disabled child? If your parent is alive, you are a child. So if we have a 90-year-old mother and a 60-year-old daughter, and the 60-year-old daughter let us have some medical problems, we get a letter from her doctor saying she's disabled, we can transfer the assets and trust for her and save it from mom's nursing home bill. If you collect Social Security, disability, SSI, it's a slam dunk, you're disabled. Um, if you're under 21, you're disabled. So we had a 50-year-old man a few years back. He was in a car accident, had to go to a nursing home, but he had a 20-year-old daughter where he would put the assets in trust for his 20-year-old daughter and save you know, his nursing home bill. If you have a brother or sister living in the same house with you, co-op, condo, house, that doesn't matter, for one or more years. If we put that house, co-op, condo, in a trust, and you've got a sibling, brother or sister, living in the house for more than one year, that house can be protected from medical bills, nursing home bills immediately. So if someone's going to a nursing home, that's one option. If you have a son or daughter, a child, who's living in the same house with the parent for two or more years and technically has provided care to the parent, but that's very liberally construed, if we put the house in trust with a son or daughter living in the same house for more than two years, we protect that from nursing home bills. So what happens, let's say, if we don't have any of the exempt transfers? You don't have a brother or sister living in your house. You don't have a son or daughter living in your house. You don't have a disabled child. You don't have a spouse. Your spouse is gone. What do you do? Well, we're still allowed to make some gifts under the Medicaid rules, and I'm going to simplify this slightly. But, one, you can spend your money however you want, and a lot of people get a little confused about that. They check gifts, but you can spend your money however you want. You can buy an expensive car and give it to your son or daughter. You can prepay your funeral. You can prepay your son's funeral, your daughter's funeral. You can um, pay tuition bills of, let's say, your grandchildren. You can put money, especially if you have money in a house, we can put money into your house and and improve your house, pay your real estate taxes and do things like that. Hopefully the house is in a trust. We can spend a lot of money. Then after we spend all the money that we can possibly spend, then there's a formula how much we can give away. And usually it comes to about a good 40% of your estate. So basically you give away 40% of your estate. The remaining 60% is used to pay medical bills, nursing home bills. Uh, but in that case, between spending the money and the 40%, you're allowed to keep $15,000. Remember, you can prepay the funeral. You can buy a good car. Most of the time we can say 60 70% of the estate as long as we can act. And what stops us from acting? If the person who's going to a nursing home is incompetent, and we don't have a good pav attorney. And by the way, when I'm talking about a good pav attorney, I'm not talking about a pav attorney that you get from a you know, banker or from online. Those pav attorneys, they allow you to pay bills, they allow you to do certain things, but they do not allow you to do everything we need to do for some of the sophisticated transactions to apply for Medicaid. And I mean, it's not rocket science, it's not brain surgery, I know that. But at the same time, it's more complicated than some people think it is. You know, some people think, like uh, George there says, well, just give the house to my mom. Well, that could hurt you on capital gains taxes. And, you know, I know sometimes somebody in a nursing home may try to give you the right advice and say, you know, well, do this with, with the house or something like that. But they're not taking into account the other children's inheritance, the tax consequences. and And, and sometimes I've seen people... Yeah, they save a $30,000 nursing home bill, but they end up paying $150,000 in capital gains taxes. They didn't need to pay. When you good, when you put a plan together, we want to put the whole plan together. We want to save on taxes. We want to avoid probate. It's important to avoid probate. And we want to save on capital gains taxes, income taxes, estate taxes. We want to put a whole package together, and we want to make it easy for your family. And if you want to hear more about us, come join our seminars next week. We're going to be in Brooklyn this next week. Uh, we're going to be in Queens in September. And in October, we're going to be in Manhattan and Staten Island. So, you know, we're going to come into a place near you. If you want to go to the seminars, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Uh, you know, there's there's usually seats available. That's not a problem. But we do like to know how many people are showing up so we can have the room set up appropriately. So, there's no charge for the seminar. Come in, and one of the things most of the time people ask the questions, most of the questions I get, how to protect my house? How do I protect my condo? How do I protect my co op? And we go through that, and that's one of the biggest points of the seminar. We also talk about some of the problems with probate, and I spend about 20, 25 minutes talking about the problems of probate and why we want to avoid it. So, again, if you're interested, give our office a call to make a reservation at one of our seminars. We're going to be in Bay Ridge on Tuesday. We're going to be in uh, Marine Park, Sheepshead Bay Wednesday, and Park Slope Thursday. So if you want, give us a call at 718-238-6500. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be talking to Robert Spencer.
7: We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wing Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org.
1: If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, Or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Amelia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the Internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash f milia once again call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement
0: frank milia nmls number 62591 all loans provided by quantic bank nmls number 403503 welcome back to ask the lawyer with mike connors Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of
3: Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is Robert Spencer, former guest on our show, who has a new book about Islam and the history of jihad. How are you doing today, sir?
8: I'm just great. How are you?
3: We know what the book is about, but what is it really about?
8: Well, the book is called The History of Jihad, and it really is just that. 1,400 years uh, uh, of—it's a narrative chronological account of 1,400 years of jihad activity, stretching from Spain all across North Africa to the Middle East to Persia to— India. This is the first time that the horrible story of the jihad against India has been told in the West. And of course, also bringing it all up to the present day to 9-11 and the ISIS And so uh, this is the first comprehensive narrative treatment of this phenomenon that is so important for our foreign and domestic policies today, and yet so few people are aware of the history of it.
3: You know, sometimes when I hear you interviewed by other hosts or whatever, I think they're trying to downplay what you're trying to get across in your book.
8: Well, that does happen, absolutely. There are a lot of people who are very wedded to the idea that there is this great moderate Muslim majority that is going to save the day. And yet uh, one of the things that that comes out of this book is that while there's never been a time when all Muslims have waged jihad or all Muslims have approved of jihad, there has also never been a time when the moderate Muslims have risen up and prevented the jihadis from waging jihad.
3: Over time in history, what are the conflicts that the audience may or may not be aware of that you highlight?
8: Well, one of them is the Barbary Pirates. The uh, first war that the United States fought, a lot of people don't know that that was the jihad. I've got in the book Thomas Jefferson and John Adams went to London. They met with the Morocco, the Moroccan ambassador there, and he told them, look, our Quran tells us that we have to fight against the unbelievers. So that's what we're doing, and they wrote that in a letter to Congress. Most of the time when the history of the Barbary pirates is told, that kind of thing is left out. Uh, also the fact that the motivating ideology behind 9/11 is exactly the same as the motivating ideology behind so many conflicts throughout history, including the Muslim con- conquest of Spain, the conquest of Constantinople in 1453. It's all the same jihad as they show in the book.
3: Okay, so when you talk about Spain, you know I think a lot of people don't realize that Spain was not always a Christian country because of the invasions.
8: Yes. That's true. Well, Spain was a Christian country uh, up until the year 711 when the Muslims started to invade, and it's interesting to note that it was a Christian, a man named Count Julian – who actually aided and enabled the Muslim conquest of Spain. He was very angry. He had a personal grudge against the Visigothic King of Spain, Roderick, and he took it out on him by going to Tariq ibn Ziyad, the Muslim commander in North Africa, and offering him logistical help to get across the Strait of Gibraltar and actually invade Spain. Spain was co- fully conquered by 718 except for what the jihadis called a uh, band of barbarians perched on a rock. But that band of barbarians up on the, a high mountain uh, led by a man named Palayo, he uh, fought back and expanded his domains until ultimately the, uh, all of the whole of Spain was reconquered by christians and that was completed of course in 1492 when uh, the last muslims were the ma- last muslim domains in spain were conquered to
3: bring it to history and again some people may know some people not like the ottoman turks they tried to take over europe you know Many hundreds times. of years later yes
8: yes they were coming from the east of course and they got as far as vienna and in vienna they were stopped on september 11 1683 And so that is another thing where we see that the Muslim world knows history and the Western world does not. It is very likely that Osama bin Laden chose the September 11th date for the 9-11 attacks because he was signaling, well, we got as far as we got then and then fell into decline, and now we're back.
3: So they see themselves as one movement back from the 700s until today.
8: Yeah, as a matter uh, matter of fact, this is very important because a lot of people think, well, this all just started with al-Qaeda, or this all just started with the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia, things like that. But all those people, al-Qaeda, ISIS, the Wahhabis, they think of themselves as the latest exponents of a 1,400-year war. And this is a war that they are going to pass on to their children as well.
3: You know, a lot of times you hear certain commentators, not a lot, but a lot of commentators, they blame the problem with Muslims on Israel. But yet there are a lot of conflicts in the world that has nothing to do with Israel.
8: Yeah, Muslims are waging jihad in the Philippines and in Thailand. What does that have to do with Israel? The, the idea that all this comes from Israel is also belied by the fact that, uh, as I show in the book, jihad was going on all around the world for 14 uh, 14- hundred years before there was ever a state of israel and as a matter of fact the violent ongoing relentless opposition to israel comes from the fact that in islamic teaching if the land belongs to islam at any time it belongs by right to islam forever the quran says drive them out from where they drove you out and so if they claim that they were driven out by the Israelis, then they have a responsibility before Allah to drive the Israelis out.
3: How many conflicts in the world right now are there involving Islam?
8: Well, that's a good question. I haven't counted them specifically by number, but I can tell you, I mentioned already, the Philippines, Thailand. Then there's the problem with the Islamic Republic of Iran. Then there is the Chechen jihad against the Russians, which is still going on Uh, in uh, Nigeria. The Fulani herdsmen and the Boko Haram jihad group are waging jihad against Christians, also in Somalia, also in Mozambique. Uh, Also in Libya, there are warring jihad groups vying for control of the country. There are, of course, jihad groups all over Europe. And they are also in South America, especially in the Triple Frontier region that meets where Paraguay, Brazil, and Argentina meet. And they are also uh, there are also indications that Hezbollah, the Iranian jihad terror group, well, actually it's Lebanese, but it's backed by Iran. It's a wholly owned and operated subsidiary of Iran. They are operating in Venezuela as well as in northern Mexico.
3: Is there much of a distinction between, let's say, the Shia and, and the Sunni on the, uh, on this issue?
8: No, they don't disagree on this issue. They hate each other, but they're happy to work together against the infidel. And that's what we see with Iran. Iran is Shiite. But they fund Hamas, which is Sunni, and also the Iranian foreign minister. I actually have in the book that Iran was involved in the plotting of the 9-11 attacks, which most people don't know. And uh, the Iranians, after the book was finished, they confirmed this and admitted that they were behind 9-11. And so that was working with the Sunnis of al-Qaeda. So they have no problem uniting with Sunnis, and Sunnis have no problem working with Shiites against infidels. A
3: lot of times when you hear politicians talk or, or people talk, they say, well, Islam is, is, is a religion of peace. What's your perception?
8: <laughs> Islam is not a religion of peace. It's never been a religion of peace and uh, probably never will be, although I guess stranger things have happened. Uh, as I show in the book, wherever Muslims have gone – and have lived with non-muslims there has been conflict between the two everywhere in history for fourteen hundred years well there's no reason why we should think that it'll be different here uh... because the same islam is being preached in the mosques in the united states they have the same Quran, the same muhammad the same teachings the of the of islamic law and so uh... the idea that islam is a religion of peace is actually a tactical statement that is meant to keep make uh, Americans and other non-Muslims ignorant and complacent so that they can be more easily manipulated, and they're not having their guard up about the jihad.
3: What's your lesson to the, the West, and more importantly, the leaders of the West?
8: That we need to recognize that this is an aspect of history, and that it has not been reformed or rejected, that therefore there are still Muslims, not all the Muslims, of course, but some Muslims who will be carrying this forward. And we need to adjust our foreign and domestic policies accordingly. I think that internationally, we need a massive counter-jihad alliance, an end, an end to the sham alliances that we have. Have with many jihad exporting states, notably Pakistan, but also Saudi Arabia and others, and, and Turkey. And the, uh, domestically, we need to put the American Muslim groups on notice that they need to not just condemn terror attacks, which is easy, but to uh, actually work against these aspects of Islam, these understandings of Islam, so as to make sure that young Muslims do not think that they, they will ever have any need to wage jihad in the United States. I'm very
3: pessimistic that these things will happen. What do you think?
8: Yeah, I don't think they're going to happen. Uh, And that's because most people are dogmatically attached to the idea that Islam is a religion of peace and that it's racist and bigoted and Islamophobic to believe otherwise. And so I don't think that we're going to uh, see some massive change. However, at the same time. What I write in the book is accurate, and what I'm saying is true. And so it's going to happen, it's going to come. Reality can be ignored. But it can't be erased. It's going to happen. And so it may be uh, that it will be at a time when it will be a whole lot more difficult to deal with the problem than it would be now. But we are going to have to deal with it one way or the other.
3: What do you think about the immediate future of Europe? Is it too late?
8: No, it's never too late. I don't think it's too late, even if there are Sharia states in Europe, uh, because then there's the resistance. And, you know, there was the Reconquista in Spain, and it could happen again. But it is very dire in Europe, and I don't think that they're going to be able to get through this without conflict because of the Sharia imperative, the idea that Islamic law has to reign supreme and that uh, all other systems of law have no validity. If you think that, then how are you going to become a loyal citizen of France or Germany or Italy or wherever? You're not. And so the conflict really is inevitable.
3: Those of us who read your book or will read your book, what should we be doing?
8: We should be calling upon our elected officials to deal with this threat realistically, to adopt some of the policies that I just outlined and others that are related, and to uh, stop the fantasy and wishful thinking that characterizes so much of our approach to this threat thus far.
3: Now, if we call our elected officials in New York, and that's where we are right now,
8: they're they're not going to listen to us. No, they're going to say you're Islamophobic. Correct. So how do you
3: keep the debate going?
8: Well, I think that uh, the force of truth is your best friend on that, and that uh, reality will keep breaking through their narrative. And so you have to be attentive to that and keep on making it uh, a matter of as much public knowledge as you possibly can to uh, impress upon people that you were right and Mayor de Blasio or whoever was wrong that this is happening. And consequently, uh, it's, it's foolhardy in the extreme to ignore it or deny it.
3: The name of the author, Robert Spencer, the name of the book, The History of Jihad, From Muhammad to ISIS. Thank you very much for being on Connor's Corner.
8: Pleasure. Thank you.
6: Hello, this is Father Frank
0: Pavone of Priests for Life. Adult stem cell research is nothing new. It has been going on for decades and, in fact, has proven helpful in treating various diseases. In the process of this research, nobody has to be killed in order to obtain the stem cells. Embryonic stem cell research, on the other hand, only began in 1998 and does involve killing a new human life in order to obtain the cells. The number of diseases that have been successfully treated with embryonic stem cells is zero. They have shown no medical benefit. And even if they did, such activity is immoral. The end does not justify the means. Adult stem cells have treated various forms of leukemia, sickle cell disease, anemia, and carcinoma. Embryonic stem cells have succeeded in nothing. This is Father Frank Lavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors and Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors and Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office
3: for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one
0: Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors.
3: Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of S Lawyer. This year is an election year, of course. Most years are election years, but we have some very important elections in New York, including the election from Attorney General. And we're very proud to have the Republican Conservative candidate Keith Wolford. Welcome to Connors Corner, Keith.
6: Hey, good afternoon.
3: A lot of issues coming up now. I saw something where you're talking about Uber. So, what's that about?
6: So the the Uber problem is one that you know really goes back to the history of medallion taxis and how they've related to communities of color and, frankly, people in underserved geographical areas under the Medallion Taxi System. What the city council appears to be proposing is effectively rolling back the clock to where we were, where people of color and people in disfavored geographical areas were underserved. You know, They, they just simply weren't able to rely on the yellow taxi system. This is a problem that the ride-sharing services have helped to solve, and now that we've basically fixed that situation, there are people who are trying, as I said, to turn back the clock. And that's, that's something that would be really unfortunate if it happened. And, and I hope the city council backs away from the brink on it.
3: Okay. Now, Uber seems to be like a a politically incorrect business. Why is that?
6: I, I don't know if that the business is politically incorrect. I mean, obviously, it's something that is wildly popular. That and the other rideshare services have expanded dramatically. And that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, they provide a service that's very convenient. But number two, there is the backdrop of an MTA that has been unsuccessful in delivering basic, timely, effective subway service. And as the MTA has gotten worse and worse, people understandably, even though there's some cost involved with it, have had to turn to the rideshare services. So it's really a reminiscent or a reflection of the failure of our government institutions that's driving the growth of these rideshare services. And, you know, the public officials are blaming them for the situation. But the fact of the matter is the situation is really reflective of of a failing of of what's going on with the government service in the MTA area.
3: All right. Another issue in this campaign, I assume, is going to be corruption. Now, I just saw Sheldon Silver being sentenced, to whatever, about a week or two ago. And does that end corruption in, in Albany?
6: It certainly does not. Uh, you know, look, the, Speaker Silver was the latest in a number of folks who were prosecuted by the federal government. But the reality is that we have a culture of corruption, and we've just got to start at the state level protecting the taxpayers by fighting it, both in terms of trials of officials who have crossed the line. But also, equally importantly, in making sure we have an attorney general who's looking at the contracts that are being done, who is looking at how the bidding process occurs, because if we don't have that, you know, we, we're not going to be able to start getting at the costs of this corruption. The contract that was rigged, and the trials that were recently completed of Kiola, the Buffalo Billion trial or a contract for three-quarters of a billion dollars. That's a huge amount of resources that could have been used more effectively. So it's really getting the cost of corruption under control is something that the next attorney general needs to be doing. We just have to have someone who's going to look at the process and then also look at the results and make sure that the taxpayer's money is going for what it's supposed to be used for. Well,
3: your predecessor before used to spend a lot of time and money suing different Trump organizations using as kind of like a personal vendetta machine. Is that gonna change?
6: Prior attorney generals, I mean, setting aside Trump, there has been too much politics out of the office and not enough focus on benefits to the taxpayers. I mean, really the office has been used as a stepping stone for folks to run for governor. And I think the unfortunate impact of that is there haven't been, hasn't been a focus on the everyday issues that face New Yorkers and issues from which they have to be protected. I mean, look, I I grew up upstate in Buffalo in a working-class family, and just like everybody else, we paid taxes and relied on the government to do certain things. And all the regular working people in this state, regardless of whether they're upstate or downstate – Have to rely on somebody in the government to watch the other officials in the government and watch private sector actors to make sure that justice is being done and that their tax dollars are going where they're supposed to go and not anywhere else. You know, it's that sensibility of protecting the taxpayers and keeping perspective on what's important in terms of the pocketbook issues that I think people are really looking for in the next attorney general and that certainly would be my emphasis rather than, for example, making political points or trying to run for higher office.
3: Some of the people out there, and I'm sure most of the people out there, they don't really know who you are. Who are you? What's your background?
6: I'm someone who today, or at least until I went on leave of absence, was working for clients trying to recover billions of dollars that they had lent to companies who took the money and basically disappeared with it or you when know, weren't willing to pay it back and so I have spent the last 20 years figuring out how to recover the billions of dollars that have been lent and figure out uh, what things went wrong that need to be righted certainly New York State needs someone like that as an attorney general who has that private sector experience of going out there and recovering money looking at complicated contracts you know that's that's really the expertise that is required these days because we clearly have a problem Uh, before i did that as a lawyer you know i grew up in buffalo as i said my my dad worked at the chevy plant in buffalo and we grew up in a working-class neighborhood on the east side of buffalo uh... this race for me is a chance to take everything that i've learned and make new york better for everyone by using the law properly rather than as a political tool to use the law to enhance opportunity for all New Yorkers, not just people who happen to, you know, have the right connections or grew up in the right neighborhood. You know, the law can be something that can help us transform the state and the attorney general's office can be something that helps us move forward. I I just ask voters to think about not just putting people in jail, But what would New York be if we used the dollars that we put into the government, nearly $200 billion if you count the MTA? If we looked at that money that we put into government and what we could do with it if we used it properly, this state has incredible potential, and there's an incredible amount of opportunity here. And putting the state on the path back to that ideal is really what I want to do, and it's because of my background and because of the good things I've seen we can do when we do things the right way.
3: Now, why are you running as a Republican conservative?
6: The party is open to opportunity. The party has a philosophy that is in favor of freedom and of economic growth. And frankly, the party has more knowledge about the needs of our largest industry, the asset management and banking industries. That is, New York has prospered in part over the last few years because it has asset management and banking industries that are industries that provide a huge amount of our tax base. And it's going to be, I would say, cooperation with and growth in those industries and others that's going to provide the economic tax base we need to be able to accomplish what we want to do as a government.
3: I understand you're raising a little bit more money or a lot more money than candidates on the Republican line usually raise for, let's say, an attorney general's race. Why is that?
6: The reason we've been successful in raising funds is because people understand our message and it's people from both parties understand our message of turning the attorney general's office into a place or back into a place that fosters opportunity that cooperates with the private sector that enforces the law and that also makes sure that when our government officials cross the line that we police that to make sure taxpayer dollars are used the right way everyone who's heard that vision has bought into it. They understand that that's a an, an constructive way for the office to go. And because they've responded to that message is why the donations have appeared.
3: Okay, where can somebody learn more about you? you have a website that people can check on your positions?
6: We certainly do have a website. It's www.wofford4ag. That's the number four, the letters ag.com.
3: Okay, Keith Wolford, thank you for running for Attorney General. We wish you well.
6: Thank you for your time. Appreciate it.
3: Okay. Remember, this year's an election year, so you know, and elections do matter. And even sometimes when you think, you know, like what what difference does it make who the attorney general is? It could make a difference. It it might help clean things up. You know, like uh, you know, we've had an attorney general for one party now for about twenty years, I think, in New York. So maybe it's it's time for a change. Okay. Last weekend, Beth and I were in Gettysburg. We were at the Little Bighorn Association.
4: I bet you thought it was going to be Civil War. No, yeah, well, it was something different.
3: We had a tour of the Battle of Hanover and the Battle of uh, Huntersden, so that that was
4: interesting. Um, well, you know they were it, they were interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those well, what if this hadn't happened moments, which is sometimes annoying. But if Jeb Stewart's cavalry hadn't been held up in relatively small battles, then maybe there would have made a difference at the big the big battles at Gettysburg. What do you think? Well,
3: I mean, it's a good point. And, you know, of course, what-ifs can drive you crazy because yes. there always can be, you know, a what-if here. What, yes. what if Stonewall Jackson didn't die at Chancellorsville? Um, what if, you know, Jeb Stewart again made it to the battle? And, and there, there's so many other things, too. Uh, you know, one of the what-ifs, I think, is that one corps that was in Harper's Ferry, what if they were moved to Blockley's Retreat? The war could have been over. At least the war in the East could have been over right then, and that's a big what if, and and why didn't that happen? Well, it's easy to look at things after the fact, but uh, what if history can drive you crazy? Now, we're going to have Ed Bars in New York on September 12th, so please don't forget him. Uh, We want a good crowd for him, and it's going to be Ask Ed Bars Anything at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. Uh,
4: You write a question, and it can be about any battle. And so you write the question down because he doesn't hear very well. Some people say he's deaf. But then we go up, and then he will answer your question. So how much fun is that? We should have said stump Ed Bars. I don't think you can
3: stump him. You can ask him. (laughs) The phone numbers for information on that is 718-341-9811. 718-341-9811. So Ed Bars... September 12th, 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. Uh, Program starts at 5.30 with cocktails, 6 o'clock dinner. You get a three-course dinner. The cost is $60 for non-members, $50 for members, and why not become a member? You know, Civil War Roundtable
4: needs members. Guess what Mr. Connors is going to be working on? His sayings. Because Mr. Mr. Barnes is saying with us.
3: I have to make him politically correct. David I'm Kincaid's ushering us out of the studio.
2: Bye bye. We are,
4: gathered, we are here, gathered here on hallowed
8: ground.
2: Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away.